Today we are discussing the kingdom of God and we're answering some pretty major questions about the kingdom of God from this text. We'll be answering the questions, when will the kingdom come? How will the kingdom come? What will happen when the kingdom comes and how should we live until the kingdom comes? Whenever we talk about the kingdom coming, what we are talking about is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That part of what it means to be a Christian is we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He was buried. He was raised again. He ascended into heaven. And just as he ascended into heaven, one day he will descend again to judge the living and the dead. We pray about this kingdom coming on earth Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you ever long for that kingdom? you ever desire for it? Man, I, I remember whenever I first taught my first full-time teaching job, I probably told you the story before, that there was a student in my class named Robbie. <clears throat> And the first thing we did every morning as we gathered for a class is we would take prayer requests from all the students. And this was during the height of, of the storm in, in Iraq and Af- Afghanistan. And every day, five days a week, Robbie would raise his hand and I'd call on Robbie for his prayer request. But I knew what his prayer request was going to be every time. Every time I called on Robbie, he would say, Mr. Watson, I, I want us to pray for all the wars in the world to end. And for all the sick people in the world to get better. I thought, how in the world do you pray for that? So after a couple of weeks of hearing the same prayer request, what we began to pray week in and week out is, come Lord Jesus. Come and establish your kingdom on earth. The book of Revelation ends in Revelation 22, verse 20, where Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And then John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible ends with this call, this longing for Christ to return. Ever since Adam and Eve tasted the forbidden fruit, and ever since Cain took the life of his brother Abel, ever since man started returning to the dust from whence he had come, there's been a longing in the human heart for things to be made right. There's been a longing to end the frustration of work, There's been a longing to end the pain in our joints and the sickness in our bodies. There's a prayer to end the strain of relationships and to end the sting of death. So let's look at our text today in Luke chapter 17. Let's answer these questions that we've talked about. The first question, probably the biggest question that everybody wants the answer to is this one. When will Christ kingdom come when will jesus return if you look in verse 20 jesus was asked this question by the pharisees says when he was asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god would come jesus answered them the kingdom of god is not coming with something observable no one will say see here or there for you see the kingdom of god is in your midst Jesus, in this whole section of the Bible, this whole chapter, he is really looking at the kingdom of God in two parts. 
He's looking at the, the, the establishment of the kingdom of God. And he's looking at the fullness of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's talking about the inauguration, the coming of the kingdom of God, but not in its fullness. When Jesus turns and talks to the disciples a verse later, he's talking about the fullness of the kingdom of God. So you kind of have this one story in two parts. So when Jesus looked at the Pharisees, what did he say? He said, you're looking for the kingdom of God? Listen, the kingdom of God is not going to come with a loud trumpet sound here. The kingdom of God is going to come quietly into the world. Not with a rider on a horse, but rather with a baby in a manger. And Jesus said the kingdom of God, in fact, is in your midst. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God begins with a birth in the ministry of himself. That's where the kingdom of God begins. In fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry on earth, what he is doing is he is doing the things and showing a shadow of the things that will take place in the fullness of God's kingdom. Think about it. Jesus goes about healing the sick, feeding the hungry, proclaiming truth, giving freedom to the captives, giving life to the dead. What is Jesus doing in his ministry but enacting what the kingdom of God will look like in its fullness? I love that verse that we read for our call to worship this morning because Jesus gives this picture of what the fullness of the kingdom of God is going to look like. When he says in Revelation chapter 21, he says, They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. What is Jesus going to do in the fullness of his kingdom when he comes the second time? He is going to make everything new. But that began with Jesus' ministry on the earth. I think one of the things that we need to realize as the people of God, that Jesus is calling us to live out a shadow of the fullness of the kingdom of God in this community. This is one of the reasons why we can't live our lives individually as, as Christians in isolation or in a vacuum, but that God has called us to live in a community with other believers. Why? Because he is calling us to live the kingdom life now. If somebody is thirsty, we give them a drink. If they're hungry, we give them food. If they are sick, we visit them. If they are mourning, we comfort them. We proclaim freedom for people who are captive to their sins. Jesus is calling us as a church to begin to live out that kingdom life now, already. Now, obviously, it's not in its fullness as if Jesus is reigning uh, in his fullness on the throne over the earth. Sin still exists. Decay still exists. But the church is to be a shadow of the things that are to come. Why? Because the kingdom of God has already been in our midst. It's already been established. But not yet in its fullness. When will the kingdom come? Jesus continues to answer this question in verse 22. 
when he turns to his disciples. He said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, See there, see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus gives us some indications of when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. One of the biggest indications he gives is found, and you're not going to like this, but it's found in verse 25. When he says, first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is not going to come until he was crucified, buried, and rose again. That was an indication that God said, after that time, you can be ready. But this has to happen first. But that's the only indication he gives us here. It's the only indication that he gives us here. And I know that's frustrating. I know whenever I was like 17, 18, and my my faith was on fire, I was eating as much of the Bible as I could, listening as much as I could, and I just got consumed with end times. And probably if if you remember way back in the day, there were these book series called Left Behind. I read those. I got all excited and thought, oh, man, this is amazing. And then I went out and I bought myself literally a book called Revelation for Dummies, you know, the big yellow books, because I was just, I just, I had to know the answers. I was consumed with knowing when Jesus was going to come back. But I feel like Jesus is saying, stop spinning your wheels. Stop trying to find out the exact time it's going to happen. Look at what he says in verse 23. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. You don't know when it's going to happen. In the book of Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is about to to go back into heaven to be with the Father and sit at his right hand, the disciples once again came to Jesus and said, Jesus is now going to be the time that you establish your kingdom. And this is how Jesus replied. It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. When we ask the question, when will Jesus return? It's as God is resounding saying over and over and over again in Scripture. That's God's business. God's going to come when God is ready at the time that he has set. But when you look at that Acts passage, what did he say to do? Acts chapter 1. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But then he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is answering their question. They said, Jesus, when are you going to return? When are you going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus said, stop asking that question. But instead, what you are to do is you are to be my witnesses. Like You are to live this kingdom life on 
earth until I come back. How, how much of a change would happen in the church today if people said, you know what, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But I'm going to live as if he could come back at any moment. And until that time, I'm going to be his witness. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, telling people about the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't answer the question, when the kingdom will come. But he does answer this next question. How will the kingdom of God come? Look at verses 22 through 24. He told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here, don't follow or run after them. For as lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. How will the kingdom come? I think Jesus tells us a few different things. I think Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is going to be obvious. When Jesus comes the second time, no one is going to be asking the question, I wonder if this is the kingdom of God or not. Like it's just going to be that plain and that obvious that something is happening. I remember when I was in high school and I had my book, Revelation for Dummies, and I was trying to learn all my doctrine from Tim LaHaye in the Left Behind series. I had a friend give me a tape cassette. You remember those? Like you know, you'd get your eraser to roll back the tapes when they fell apart. But it was this tape cassette that explained how the Prince of Wales was the Antichrist. <laughs> and they had this weaving together of a story and all the signs that pointed clearly how Prince Charles was the Antichrist. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But it's almost like if there was this verse that said, see here, see there, don't go after that. But we, we so much want to know the future of what will happen. We chase after those things. Jesus is saying, listen, when the Son of Man comes back, it is going to be obvious. It is going to be obvious and it's going to be immediate. Look at the illustration that Jesus says. It's going to be like lightning flashing across the sky from horizon to horizon. Now, you've probably seen lightning in the distance, but have any of you been like close to lightning? We're like, that's too close for comfort. And, and my body's still shaking from, from this bolt. There's no doubt that that lightning had happened, but you know what? There's no expecting it. You can expect thunder, can't you? When you see the lightning, you know the thunder is going to follow. But the lightning is quick, it's immediate, and it's obvious. When Jesus comes back, he is going to come back. He is going to be seen. It's going to be immediate. But it's also going to be a surprise for us. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the apostle says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. I don't know, that description there kind of includes everything we talked about. It's obvious, isn't it? 
the heavens are passing away with a loud noise and the elements are burning and being dissolved. I think if we see that, we'll be like, something's going on here. It's obvious, but it's also an immediate surprise, like a thief in the night. You don't know when to expect a thief in the night. The thief just comes. We can't pinpoint when Jesus will come, but when he comes, it will be obvious. It will be a surprise to us. In fact, it will be so obvious and so much a surprise that people will just be going on about their daily business. And Jesus gives an illustration of this, that whenever judgment came to the world during the days of Noah, what were people doing up until the first rain drop? Well, they were marrying, they were celebrating, they were eating, they were drinking, they were going about as life as normal as if life would continue this way always. And then the flood came and destroyed the world. What about the Sodom story of Sodom and Gomorrah? People in Sodom, people in Gomorrah just lived their life the way that they've always lived it. Eating, drinking, celebrating, giving in marriage, being married, and thinking we're going to continue to live this way throughout the rest of our lives for the history of the world. And then fire rained down from heaven. We have to realize that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be the same way. It's going to be the same way. People are going to be living their lives, expecting life to continue in the same rhythms that it's been going on for the past few thousand years. But when Jesus comes, it's going to be obvious, immediate, and it will be a surprise. When he comes and Jesus returns, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when the Son of Man returns? We see this in verses 26 through 35. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not return back. Remember, <clears throat> remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, and one will be taken, the other left. What is Jesus saying? He is painting us the picture that on the day that Christ returns, there will be a separation. There will be a separation from the righteous who are found in Christ, from the wicked who rejected Christ. And what will follow when Christ returns is what we call the great judgment. We get this picture in the two illustrations that Jesus is giving. What's the first illustration? The first illustration is the story of Noah, the story of the great flood. It still blows my mind that this is what we paint on our nursery walls because it's a pretty horrific and frightening story, isn't it? That the entirety of the earth was found in judgment 
and God wiped out humanity except for Noah and his family who found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. The story of Noah is the story of judgment against wickedness. What about the story of Lot? The story of Lot centers around the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were known for their great wickedness. And fire and brimstone rained down on those cities. Why? As judgment for their great wickedness. When Christ returns, we are told that he is going to judge the living and the dead. When we read that verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Whenever the Lord returns, the elements will be burned and dissolved on the earth, and the works on it will be disclosed. What is Peter talking about? The works on the earth is going to be exposed. He's saying our works will be weighed. They will be measured. They will be find out if, 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 we are, if we are wanting or not. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 12. Write it this way. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead the great and small standing before the throne and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know how he is coming back. And we know that when he does come back, one of the things that he is going to do is he is going to judge the earth based off of their works. And the only people who are going to escape it are peoples whose names are written in the book of life. Which begs the next really big question. How do I make sure that my name is written in the book of life? How do I make sure that when God judges me, I'm not thrown into that lake of fire? And the answer is Christ. Are you putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you putting, are you putting your hope in his righteousness so that when you believe in him, his righteousness becomes your righteousness? That his Payment on the cross is your payment for your sins. So that when God is on his throne and he looks at you, he doesn't see the sin that you've committed in your life, but rather what he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, robed around you. That is how our names is written in that book of life. It's how we are safe in that day of judgment. Christ is our shelter, our fortress that we hide in. Jesus answers a fourth question. And I think it's a question that we have to figure out. It's a question that we have 
to live out. It's a question of how should we live knowing that the kingdom of God is coming. We see that in verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you that on that night, two will be on the bed, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain, and one will be taken, the other left. Where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. Knowing that Christ is coming, how should we live? And Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. Do y'all remember the story of Lot's wife? The angels of the Lord come to Lot's household and he says, listen, Lot, you need to take your family and you need to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah because the Lord is going to bring judgment on them. Take your wife, take your daughters, take your sons-in-laws and get out of town. But no one would believe him. The son-in-laws decided not to go, so Lot fled with only his wife and his daughters. But as they were running away from the city that was being destroyed, do you remember what Lot did, or Lot's wife did? She turned around and she looked back with longing on that city that was being destroyed. And she herself was destroyed in the process. I think what we need to do, how do we live a kingdom life on earth? We have to make sure that we are not distracted by the allures of what this world promises us. Lot's wife looked back with longing on all the things that she was going to lose and lose out on. And she wanted to hold on to those things. And so she was destroyed with them. Whereas Lot's eyes were fixed on the refuge of the mountain. As we are living this life, the world is going to promise us all sorts of things of happiness and peace and success And what Jesus is saying is don't look at what the world promises, but rather look to the kingdom of God and the promises of that kingdom. We are to live a kingdom life by not being allured by the promises of this world. We are to live a life that's focused on the kingdom. Think about what it says in verse 23 when he says, they will say to you, see there or see here, Don't follow, don't run after them. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, be focused on the kingdom of work. You don't have to have a chart the size of a wall with all the events and all the timelines of what you think is going to happen until Christ returns. What Jesus is saying is don't be distracted. Focus on the work of the kingdom of God. Focus on living that kingdom life. Focus on being the witness that God has called us to be. And that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
at this point in our lives, at this point in human history, we are called to live out the truths and the beauty of the kingdom of God. And that in doing so, we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. But we also look forward to the hope when Jesus makes all things new. Wiping away every tear from every eye, destroying that last enemy of death. And things will be as they ought to be and not as they currently are. So let us say wholeheartedly and let our prayer continually be, come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and pray.